0: And welcome back to another episode of uh, How to Medieval. Uh, how to by two guys who show you how to do it. Between the two of them, and I'm Todd.
1: I'm Ari. And uh, today shows uh, we got today, uh, well, today our show. We got a good uh, good topic. You know, we got some feedback um, from some of you guys out there, and uh, it actually kind of went into this this uh, second episode. And the topic today, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about what is living history to us, and uh, compared to reenactment, or it, if there's even a difference between the two. So one of, one of the big things is uh, we're at these these events, you know, we get what what is this? What like what is living history? And, uh, you, you you know, it's it's kind of hard to explain at right the back because it's there's so much there's so much that goes into it. And, and and then at the same time, people, you know, ask what's the difference between reenacting, you know, because we use that term a lot, too. Like, oh, I'm a reenactor, a historical reenactor. So, I mean, is there a difference Ari?
0: Well, that's the problem is that it's kind of muddy. The waters are very muddy between what people mean by reenacting and living history. And a lot of these things are very narrow and specific forms of just general medieval like hobbies. So you can have a lot of medievalists doing a number of different activities and a lot of them kind of interplay and work through and inside each other. So in the beginning, what we want to talk about is what we do, which is we focus primarily on living history. And to me, when I think about what does that mean, what am I saying when I, I focus entirely on living history, I think about how I use my activities to incorporate historical activities and concepts into an interactive impression, Was we use the term impression, of a time in history without being a specific person or using a specific event or following either a prescriptive or creative storyline. Yeah. So,
1: or, yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And it's to me, the living history is you're, you're trying to, you do that, you know, living archeology, span you're trying to, you know, present, you know, show a presentation or recreate a specific, you know, a time in history. It doesn't have to be so specific. and can be, you know, over, you know, over a set amount of time, but you're, you're not really, and you're not focused on one thing. You're kind of doing a little of everything, um, compared to a reenactment, which, you know, is, you know, compared to the stuff in the United States, like a uh, civil war enactment, we all know what happened. We, we know the outcome of the battles. Um, so when you talk about a reenactment, I think you're, that acting part comes out, you're, you're, you're actually acting the part of a specific person, um, or, you know, someone that was at a thing. And, and there's kind of a Script, you know, because we know what happened. We have the events recorded and uh what are your thoughts on that? How do you do do you kind of agree, disagree?
0: Yeah, so when you're talking about reenactment, when I hear that word, I think of something that's very prescriptive. And even if you're not representing a specific historical figure, though obviously if you're having a historical battle, someone has to be these specific iconic figures. Even if you're a run-of-the-mill soldier in a unit, you're following through a series of events that had to have happened. And so you're doing a presentation in the same way that we think about doing presentations with living history, but you're constrained by what happened in that specific event.
1: And, and it it also dictates, you know, the exact clothing, um, the exact equipment, there, it, you, a re- battle reenactment or a reenactment of some type, I mean, like the signing the Magna Carta or whatever. They, they, everything is pretty much laid out for you. Now, on the living history side, I mean, you you kind of get to explore a little bit you know in my eyes you get to kind of um experiment with certain you know different aspects of that time period that you are trying to to recreate and uh you know have that persona that portrayal of you know you're a, a you know you work leather or you're a soldier or you're a man at arms or you're you know you want to demonstrate cooking what someone you know cooking but i think that's that's what the living history for it gives you that freedom it's compared to reenactment where you're kind of set like you said to that that set play that comes out, you know, that's already been
0: designated by history. Right. But that's where things get muddy again, as I was saying, before you have living history and reenactment really have to go hand in hand because, well, at a specific event, you might be recreating a singular battle or as a part of a group, you might be representing a very specific unit or very specific time frame. But when you're not in that, that single battle or you're not following that single speech or event you still have to develop your own material culture for your station and for your impression or for your character depending on how you yeah you still have to develop yeah develop everything and so living history especially when you go and do things outside of a reenactment of a singular event and you go out and you practice, like you said, your leather craft, or you cook a different dish. You, know, you go to an event two times, it might be the same battle, but say you're really into historical cooking, you're doing living history when you're coming up with new dishes for your troop while you're cooking and eating to explore different aspects of history. And that's where you have the experimental archaeology. You go out and you try and make equipment work on your off time. Maybe you do it as part of a group event with your uh, your local organization. So they really go hand in hand, and I think it really depends on what you're doing, really the event itself, as to whether or not you're doing a reenactment, because you're really always doing living history, as yeah. long as you're adhering, of course, to historical facts, which is where things start to loosen up when we I talk really about some of to these other it. medieval groups. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: I, you know, I, I was agreeing with you there, and I lost my train of thought, but how deep can you go into living history? I mean, like, I mean, like... When you when you talk about living living history, do you do, you act the part of a certain individual, or how how do you, how do you take it as, you know, what what kind of um, person you take it first person, third person, you know, it, do you speak as someone uh, when you do living history, or or can you can just say, hey, this is what so and so would look like, or this is something that they would, they would look like or do, um, at this time period.
0: So I have done both. So when I worked living history on the boats doing like regency era 1830s it was all first person you were playing the part though you weren't following a specific script you were pretending to be a specific person even though only one of the people in our uh, group was a historical figure when i do the medieval reenacting and living history such as out at days of nights uh by their rules i started doing third person where you are talking about an impression that you are doing. And I find that to be uh, very comfortable. I enjoy being able to separate myself from the person that I'm portraying because that gives you the freedom to actually explore different socioeconomic statuses, possibly even at the same event. It allows you to interact with people from different aspects of, say, know if you're talking about like the hundred years war you can talk about both sides of the timeline if you're saying i this is an impression of so and so at this time and then you can also say but if we do this you know change this outfit change these weapons uh change this tactics we can be representing somebody from a different aspect of history Mm -hmm. while at the same time you're not trying to tell somebody well i'm so and so now and then i'm so and so a hundred years later i enjoy that third person presentation a lot However, there's a lot of fun, like there's a lot of just joy and entertainment when you can really get into a role. So there's no reason why living history can't encompass one person saying, "I am this guy." And they can work really hard on that. and they can do an amazing fact-based, accurate and authentic representation of an individual person. Yeah,,
1: no, I'm, and that's 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 a great topic we can discuss even further down the road once we get kind of deeper in this and get and maybe have a guest on who specializes in you know a first person type, you know, uh, betrayal. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's something I've never done. I have no experience in first person. Um, but it's something to look into, you know, on a future episode. So Mm -hmm. now we, we we do a quick Google search on living history and other things pop up, you know, um, not necessarily the same definition that you and I would call living history. Um, but they're medieval activities, nonetheless. Correct. Um, and some of these these uh, similarities, you know, are these. I'm sorry, these hobbies that we talk we're going to talk about are like um, LARPing or live action role playing, correct? And uh, Ren Fair and a group called the SCA. Um, that you, you you with a quick Google search, they'll come right up. And uh, what do you think? What do you think? So how do how are these groups are living history? Are they are they reenacting? Or I mean, let's go a little in depth in these groups. So we'll, let's, that's we'll start the out point, with
0: you... uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that's the point where you start getting into the maybes. Mm-hmm. Most reenacting, since they're trying to portray a specific point in history, have to have a level of accuracy and authenticity to them, which makes them, analogous to living history, just their focus is on one specific time instead of uh, a general concept of that period in time. When you get to things like live-action play, they can have whatever theme they want. Now, there are medieval and historically oriented live action role plays, which are different than living history groups in that they have sort of a, um, a characterization outside and superficial to the history. So when you think of things like, uh, Regia and Glorum, they don't have a characterization, but when you look at the SCA or the Outremer Society or Markland, you have a character and you have a living history impression that you're kind of developing hand in hand. And you go through and you ha- you probably have a lot more to say about the SCA than I do. You spent more time in it. But, you know, you go through and you have court and you have um, tournaments and things that are uh, different. It's a, like an insular culture separate to the history that they're portraying.
1: Yeah. So I, I definitely cannot speak on the LARP stuff because I've never done a live action role playing. Um but the SCA, I feel, kind of goes in the same, almost like historical LARPing, like you were saying. It's kind of under the same umbrella, um, as there's you know fictitious kingdoms, uh, you know titles, and you, you you assume a role or persona, and you that's historically based off the the wide historical range, i.e. the, the inaccuracy part of the name. Um, but it does. It has. It still has some of that uh, that role play uh, feel. Uh, that that's has a very you know it's a little closer to, to living history or medieval reenact, uh, living history than it is on the LARP side. Um, but they're hobbies nonetheless. I mean, you know, they're at the end of the day, they're just, you know, hobbies, medieval activities that people enjoy to do. Um, but I think the SCA once again, kind of tends cause there's a lot of, you know, good stuff that comes out of the SCA on the, uh, the arts and crafts side, the science side. Um, and, and, and you know, it's a, it's a large, it's probably the largest group we have in the United States for, a, you know, living history type medieval activity. I mean, there's I don't think there's anything larger out there.
0: No, and I don't know of anyone who really gets into this and doesn't in one way or another interact with the SCA. And it's it's historically based, and, but it has a very long and wide timeline, which is something you don't see in a lot of uh, living history groups. And you don't see a lot of that, especially in reenactment, because they're so narrowly focused. Whereas the SCA has the opportunity to allow in a wider range of people because they go from like the prehistory until 1600. Mm. And unlike living history groups that are primarily focused on the history, they also have this story that they're, their own stories that they're telling, which is completely up to someone's personal taste because they do a lot of living history. You have to, you have to go through and understand the culture of the person you're trying to portray to do that character but they stop at fantasy. So that's where people start to get mixed up with LARP. When you say LARP, a lot of people think of, like, Dagger here, or Amtgard, where it's fantasy is allowed in, but it has a medieval aesthetic. So that's when you start to get into medieval-esque hobbies that are very much veering away from the stuff that you and I focus on.
1: Yeah, and, there, and there's there's also um, the Renaissance Fair. You know, that, that, that side of the house, another medieval type, well, Renaissance type of activity. Um, another form of a medieval event that's that's more of entertainment I think you, if you put it in there it's more of a a show uh, than a you know than an actual living history event where you're you know displaying for the public for you know his, you know education so what are your thoughts on the on the renaissance fair when it comes to a living history event or you know
0: scene living history has its place in ren fairs under the understanding that as you said it's purely entertainment based they're mostly they're generally businesses they're trying to get people to come in and, and buy things. And, and most of the people who go through are mostly they're spectators. They want to buy things at the store and they want to you know drink meat and beer and eat turkey legs. And you can bring living history into it. I know a lot of Ren Fairs, like you and I have both been to the Renaissance Pleasure Fair in California that had living history groups that encamped there and did demonstrations there. And the Ren Fair out here in Kansas City has both... Living history groups like the Kansas City Sword Guild come in and do demos, as well as every once in a while they have living history groups in and part of the fair, like the actual administration of the fair. So the ambiance is much more lighthearted. And while you can be focused on the historical nuance with your living history group, that's not what the fair itself is about.
1: No, you you definitely have the modern day you know fantasy throw-in flair, like, like mermaids, and you have fairies and and tree folk. But again, like you said, and I, I agree hundred percent. It's, 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 it's definitely been, you know, a business ties. I mean, if that's even a word, it's, it's definitely for profit. Um, so I think once you kind of turn into that, that shies away a lot of the groups, the for you know, the not, for, not for profit, nonprofit organizations, stuff like that. I can go back to when I was seven, you know, 17, 16, 17. I went to that first rent, you know, Renaissance fair in California and you definitely had a heavy, uh, living history presence in, in that renaissance fair in the uh, renaissance pleasure fair in california and like i said before in our in our last episode where it kind of got me into that's what really drew me in because i mean these these people were out there in their in their garb and their their armor and their kit they're just you know had a a just a cam set up and it's just, that's, that's what really drew me in. i didn't i didn't really care about the stage in the left corner um where they sung you know drunken sailor which is not a renaissance song but uh no, you know, you know and, and and it was just you know as a kid that's if I could just break from my family and go all day, that's what I would, I would have stayed right there. And, and that's what kind of drew me in. And I, and I got in contact with the group and, and the rest is history. But, um, it, it's definitely, again, it's a, it's a hobby, um, a medieval Renaissance type hobby. Uh, I think it's definitely for entertainment. Uh, it still has a lot of historical, um, you know, research done. Cause I mean, some of those, those, uh, soft kits, those garb is just, it's, it's crazy, you know, for Victorian yeah. age, or Elizabethan, sorry, age stuff. It's just they have
0: to do research to get that, you know, that type of quality on like the court dresses. But definitely, because you bring living history into, you can, or at least if you're interested in the history, you can bring that to whatever you're doing. You can bring that to uh, a historically inspired LARP. You can bring living history into even a fantasy style LARP to improve your medieval aesthetic. You can bring it to run fairs and you can bring it to reenactments. And something we, we sort of haven't touched on yet, which I think think is very important with living history is that living history not only goes and runs sort of as a through line into any other medieval type hobby that you're doing. I find living history to be a very noble pursuit because it's something that can be done alone. Now, no one likes to hang out on their own if they don't have to, but when you're talking about like a role play, you kind of have to have a group to play along with. And when you think yeah. about a, a yeah. reenactment of a specific battle, you kind of have to be shooting at somebody, right? <laughs> but with living history, if you're alone, you have, if you want, if you can, if you're interested, you can put together your ensemble, you can train in the tools and the weapons and the skills, and you can really do that exploration of history alone. And then as you travel around and interact with other people, you can bring that wealth of knowledge that you develop with you, though though having a group is far superior to doing it alone.
1: Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely a logistical wise and all that good stuff, but you're, you're right. It's something that you can do no matter where you are. Um, and you can, you know, thanks to the modern day technology of internet, you can, you can gain knowledge and you can talk to people and you can, you know, you can communicate from miles and miles and miles away with people that have been doing it. Listen to this podcast, for example, and start at home and, 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 you know, start your, 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 your road on your, to your journey of living history you know you can do your garb from your house either off the shelf or create your own you can do your own research so yeah you're it's 100 right i mean it's definitely it's a great social activity but at the same time you definitely don't need people um to start the journey you know you can't have you can't try to reenact the battle of Gettysburg without you know mass amounts of units and soldiers on the you know on a reenactment or a, on a battlefield Exactly. It, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No, that's that, a good. That's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Because when you see, like, you go out in in England, they have these massive uh, recreations of like the Battle of Agincourt. You get dozens and dozens of different small groups, up to and including individuals, together to do that. But those individuals, if they weren't focusing on their living history, there you wouldn't be able to pull them all together for a big reenactment like that. And the internet makes that an am- just an incalculably easier. I can't imagine what it was like to try and do this, uh, in a vacuum without the internet. I'm certain that there was a time when you had to have a group to really get the guidance and the resources you needed. I can't get my small local, uh, podunk library to do an intra book exchange for Capwell's, uh, huh. armor of an English Knight. They yeah. just, you know, they won't, no one will talk to them. Like the big, the big libraries, won't, aren't willing to loan to the little library that's in my town. So if I didn't have the internet, there's so much information I wouldn't have had access to. So we've really hit a, an interesting age where we have access to these resources and have access to this information that allows you to be a little more individual and be a little more less group focused, though I do want to caveat all of that with having done it alone and done it with groups, hanging out with other people is so much better. You don't want to
1: be a lone nerd, you know.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. But there's there, there's one packs. more. There's
1: one more aspect. What's that?
0: Moving packs, the bullies can't find uh, beat you that way. Yeah. <laughs> Not when you have a, a bunch of spears, you know. So yeah. The poleaxe helps. Another,
1: <laughs> another um, medieval activity. I think we kind of you should hit up on too is the uh, the steel combat groups that you kind of see you know popped up over the years. What do you? You know, it's fair enough to recognize them um, as some of the groups, I think, try try for a, uh, a living history type um, feel where they kind of try to, you know, base their kit on their, their fighting harness and all that good stuff on an actual historical kit. Um, what do you think about what do you, what, what's your take on, on the on the, the live steel fighting groups out there that I mean, literally just has it's blown up since a lot for like over the last
0: five years. I mean, it's just all over now. Yeah, you you call it very new, though we have had groups that have been doing steel-style, historically accurate, HEMA-inspired combat for decades. You're right, there's been this, this massive outpouring of interest in things like the Bohert-style Battle of the Nations, and I think there's a difference between the steel fighting that crops up within groups of living history and reenactors who are following things like the DeKoven Concorde to do historically inspired steel combat and then you have these groups who are steel combat first with a medieval overlay over them and so they make a number of concessions instead of making concessions in their rule set to support historically accurate armor they make concessions in their hard kit to allow for sport style rule sets and so you really have two different tracks here, and they're both very much historically inspired and medievally aesthetic fighting systems. And I think there's really a um, it's a preference issue, I guess, as to whether or not you want to like go hard and fast or if you want to throttle back and, and be a little more controlled and techniqued, because having not done Battle of the Nation-style fighting but having done Harness Fecton in the style that you will see on pursuing the nightly arts and the kind of stuff that you're going to see at more historically inspired deed of arms i i can just see on videos there's a a far more technique control and fundamentally based practice in harness And than there is in like battle of the nations
1: yeah. Well, I, I think it's, you know, fair to say it's two separate type combat, you know, they, it's evolved into its own combat system. Um, you're definitely right. I think, you know, as a guy who has done, you know, um, armor, you know, HEMA as well, you know, it, you definitely got to sacrifice some of your historical authenticity for obviously safety reasons. You don't want to, you know, even though <laughs> those boys out there still knock each other around. Um, and you got to sacrifice that f- sacrifice that for the modern, you know, safety measures. But, um, nonetheless it's another medieval type activity um, that if you do a quick Google search and you know it's easy for someone who's never done this to kind of go to YouTube and you see these guys in armor like oh that's there you go I want it, that's what I want to do um, that's just another another spin-off of, of living history another you know hobby or, or combat system that you see out there today
0: but there is really a divine not being an authority in this subject but just being an observer from the outside there's a big divide between the martial art aspect and the sport aspect Mm
1: -hmm. and there are a lot of groups
0: that are medieval inspired sports and there are a lot of groups that do historical martial arts and so if you're going into living history with the intent of learning how to fight it's very important to both know what the groups around you and nearby are doing and Understand, are you willing to participate in a medievally inspired, knightly looking sport, or do you want to find and perfect a medieval historic martial art? Because one of those you can train both of those individually. You can just like living history work on those alone, but your outcome is going to be different. And the people that you're able to fight with will be different because there comes a point at which the rule sets become mutually exclusive because you can't mm-hmm. use certain historical techniques at a sport fight. And there's many ways that you sport fight that really is not applicable or you shouldn't bring into, uh, a historical, like a HEMA style harness effect deed or yeah. list. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's complete, you know, we can go all, I can talk about this all night we get, you know, Ben Bruce or, um, and, uh, Reese off from uh, pursuing the nightly arts to, you know, talk about this. And this, is this, this would be a great, uh, another episode to talk about. Cause that's an aspect of living history is like some people, um, want to do the combat side and it, there is, there's a, there's a, there's the ones that just want to sport. They want to, you know, they want to fight. They're not really interested in the, okay. So you're, you're a, a man at arms. What's the, what does the man at arms have for his daily kit? You know, what do you, you know, they're not interested in that. And that's fine. That's, that's, the, that's a hobby. That's a medieval type sport hobby that you want to do. And then there's, you know, you get guys that want to combine, you know, HEMA, the historical European martial arts, and do the harness uh, effect. And, and at the same time, do the, hey, this is this is what they did. This is the treaties they used. This is how they fought. And, oh, by the way, this is what they look like on campaign. Um, this is, you know, this is what they, you know, had in their life. And, and you kind of combine the two, and it all sets back to, it's all kind of living history. You're right. You know, what we said in the beginning, it all kind of wraps up into a living history aspect. You, do you agree? Disagree?
0: I know I agree with you entirely and it's important to remember what are your expectations so when we're talking about our expectations with living history we're trying to be factually correct historically honest and authentic to the time period we're portraying and we do that by being narrowly focused and as much as possible in our time frame and our region and ethnicity and social class the wider you make those parameters the less authentic your impression will become and so that's why we lean towards you you and I lean towards a primarily living history goal as the outcome and so if that's your outcome that changes what you will accept so I have no interest in a sport combat that's a modern manifestation of how people want to hit each other with metal sticks because that's not historically authentic. So when I think about fighting, I think about it as a way to support my historical impression. And so I'd want to be able to move my sword and my body and respond to somebody in a fight in a way that would represent what you'd see if we were transported back in time. No, exactly.
1: And, you know, at the end of the day, it's you, you kind of, you hit on the nail. That's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on the, you know, the the authentic uh, historical, medieval living history side. It's that's, that's affected as as, as much as we can do, um, you know, financially and just, you know, what we're available to do. If you are interested in all these other aspects, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's a hobby and uh, if that's the hobby you choose. Um, there's probably other, you know, places to look to get better information and have, you know, people that are actually SMEs in that, that area. Um, but, Hopefully that clears up kind of where we focus on um, what we see the difference between living medieval living history reenactment and then medieval type activities that you might find on the internet. Um, so having said that, that's where our focus is. That's where we're going to go down the road. Um, so I mean, that's that's our concentration. On what are, you, what are you thinking on our way out here, Ari?
0: That's right. You know, we can take what we learn at living history since it's on the more specific end of the spectrum and apply it to other activities so you can be in a vaguely medieval larp or a historic larp or going to a ren fair and you can use the things we're talking about and we're going to delve into to improve those activities or you can you know do what we do and focus nail down and really drill into a specific aspect of history and that's what we're going to be digging into and i look forward to getting into more of it later
1: all right. And uh, before we do sign off, I just want to say thanks for all the likes and the shares and uh, all the comments that have been coming in so far. Um, like I said, we only had one episode and already, you know, we're getting great feedback, positive feedback. If you, you know, if you have any uh, const- you know, positive constructive, uh, constructive criticism, please send it to us. We're not, we're, we're not thin skin. Let us know what we can improve on. If you're a tech expert, let us know um, so we can continue continuously improve our uh, our uh, presentation here. On, uh, I think next week uh, or the next episode, what, what are we going to concentrate on next time,
0: Ari? We should probably look into now that we've established that we're going to be focusing on narrow time frames and character impressions or rather historical impressions. We should start discussing how you go about choosing your actual impression. What do you do to narrow down and come up with an authentic, cohesive impression and break that down? There's a there's a number of different ways we can dig into that. All right.
1: I appreciate you listening. Um, We'll catch you next episode, and uh, Mm -hmm. see you next time.
0: Value your support. Like, share, send it around, give it stars. A lot of you heard about it. Make sure even more people hear about it later, too.